Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. Alright, Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 to 40. And it says this, Jesus said to him, well, let's start from verse 34, shall we? But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Very interesting. You've got to understand, when Jesus says all the law, He's talking about far more than just the Ten Commandments here. He's talking about the, the great law that, that Pharisees and Sadducees placed on people. Back in that day, you... You became, as you became a rabbi uh, and went up in the ranks, you reached a certain level where you would have people following you and they would follow your ways and your interpretation of the scriptures, the laws and how you express them. Now, the thing that Jesus had against the Pharisees and the Sadducees is they took the law of Moses and made it a heavy yoke upon the necks of the people. They made all kinds of ridiculous rules and laws that, are, that, would, that were never originally intended. And that's why when Jesus came and he healed people on the Sabbath, there was outrage because it, those actions didn't fit within the molds that had been set up by those Pharisees and Sadducees. So, what Jesus is saying here is quite revolutionary. He's saying that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and if you love your neighbor of yourself as yourself, you have fulfilled the law. Now, you need to understand for the people of the time, that was a big deal. That took a huge weight off their shoulders. That's why Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with law and rules and things you have to do, and I will give you rest. Why? For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What was the yoke of Jesus Christ? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But also in the scripture, we see the key to humility. We see the key that leads us to embrace a heart of humility so that we are able and empowered to love others and to see others the way Jesus Christ does. You know, when we can see people around us through the eyes of Jesus, the way we feel about them changes remarkably. When we can see people through the love and then through the, lens, through the lenses of God's love, the way we approach them, the way we deal with them, the way we... Um, serve them, changes dramatically. There's, in these two commandments, there's a three, there are actually three steps that give us the secret. First of all, love the Lord your God. Our relationship with God is what enables us to love others. Your relationship with others, with those around you, your ability to forgive, your ability to walk in peace, is a, 
is, is a good indication of your level of intimacy with God. It is a good, in, 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 uh, it's a good guide or a good gauge to see how well or how much you are being discipled by the life of Jesus Christ. If you are having strife in all things all around you and you cannot make peace with anything, guess what? You're not at peace with the Lord. The first commandment is that we need to love God and allow His love to fill our hearts. What does that do? That tells us that our value is not based on what other people think of us. But our value is found in the fact that we are valued and loved by God. God paid a huge price for us. He paid His Son, the life of His Son Jesus, so that we could you know, have eternal life and having have Him abiding in us. When we have a revelation that God loves us, we don't need to prove ourselves to anybody or anything. We don't need to be better than anybody else and we can't be belittled by anybody else. We are whole and secure in the love of God. So much so that it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people think and it doesn't matter how they behave. We are not swayed. We are centered, steadfast in the love of God. Rooted in the love of God. You know, again and again, Paul praised these things. Let me t turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3. Let me read you another portion of Scripture as it comes to mind here. Chapter 3 from verse 14. We see here the Apostle Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. And this is the revelation that he prays that they will have. Ephesians 3, reading from verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. So, it, what is He saying there? That you would have a strong inner man. That you will not be swayed by everything that's going on around you, but that you would be strong. Instead of being an influence, being influenced, you will be an influencer. Let's carry on reading. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that mean? The mindset of Christ. The love of Christ towards others, to the devotion of Christ towards God. That you, being rooted and grounded in love. Do you see that? Rooted and grounded in the love of God. What does that do? He carries on to say, That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, or the width, and length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is God's desire for you. To be filled with the fullness of who He is, of everything that Jesus came and purchased on the cross. How do we get to that place? By being rooted and grounded, having a revelation of the love of God. I want to tell you something. I shared my story with some of you while I was there in Gypsum. I had a double life for many, many years. I had my Christian life and I had my social life, if I could call it that. And I was two different people in two different places. Do you know what broke me out of that? It was a revelation of the love of God. How and why? You say, that doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you why. I was seeking after the approval of men. I was seeking after the approval of my peers. And when I had a revelation of the love of God, I no longer had to be anyone to anybody. All I had to be was Christ's disciple. 
I became free from having to worry about what anybody thought of me. I became free from having to worry about how this will be received and how will, you know, if I do that, what will so and so say? And I, be, I began to enter a life that was completely devoted, instead of just half-devoted or half-heartedly devoted to Him. I began to live a life that was grounded and centered in the love of Jesus Christ. When you have that kind of revelation, the next part of the commandment becomes possible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And also, in other words, let that, let that love fill and, and, and ground, be grounded in your heart. And then the next part of the commandment comes. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what actually comes first? Loving your neighbor or loving yourself? Anybody have an answer? Yes, you've got to love yourself before you can love others. What does that mean? That means when you have a revelation of God's love for you, you begin to understand your own value and worth. And when you understand your own value and worth, you realize that your value and worth is not determined by others. That empowers you to love them with the same love that you have received from God the Father. You know, Tony Fitzgerald always says, there's three things you need to know in life. Whose you are, who you are, and who you, uh, whose you are, what you're called to do, and who you're called to do it with. When you know whose you are, everything else kind of falls into place. When your heart is filled with love, knowing that you are God's, God's favorite, why not? I mean, I know I am, but for today we can all be His favorites, why not? When you know that you are God's favorite, you're His most beloved child, you are free to go and pass that love on to others without feeling diminished or devalued in any way at all. That is incredibly powerful. You then become a conduit for the love of God. Not wanting to wrong anybody. Not even caring too much about your own uh, image or your own reputation. You're willing to... That means so little to you. What, what, what becomes important to you is receiving the love of, that, of the Father and giving it away to those around you. You become free to be a disciple. You become free to be a conduit of God's love. This has huge, obviously, huge implications on our relationships and, and, and on the humility that is needed to build successful relationships. Like I said already, building relationships is tough. It's difficult. Sometimes we wish we could change people around us, don't we? All the wives are going, Yes! thinking specifically of their husbands. And all the husbands are going, yes! Thinking specifically of their wives. But, how many of you know that we are powerless to change others? Amen. We are powerless to change others. However, we have within us the life of God that, is, that we all know is powerful enough to change us. And if we dare to do things His way, if we take the care to give the love that He has placed in our hearts to those around us, that love has the power to change others the same way it changed us. So what am I saying to you today? I'm saying, you know, 
we often get frustrated with the way things are. We get frustrated with the way some people around us may be. And we want to change them. We, that is impossible to do. We cannot change them. And by the way, God has never called us to change anybody except ourselves. However, when we make a quality decision to put our own reputation, our own opinions, our own way of thinking that is right, or our own way of doing things aside, and to love somebody else in their own way, for who they are, despite who they are, we begin to release the power of God into that situation to bring about the change that we actually want to see. Isn't that incredible? You know, the Bible says that wives... Don't nag your husbands. Don't be on their cases about their spirituality, all these kinds of things. But through your example, love them. And by your love, God will do something in their lives. Isn't that an incredible promise? Now, I want to tell you something. For most of us, that's difficult to swallow. Because God tells us the same thing as men. We want to change our wives, for instance. You know, we'd rather they did things this way or that way. This is the right way of doing it. And we have clear reason and logic as to why this is the best way or the right way to do it. And yet, we, you'll find that the more you try and press your way, the more frustration you, you reap, and, and you don't make any ground. Yet, Bible says to us men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying your life down for her. And it's amazing. I have seen in marriages over and over again, where one spouse will simply take God at His word, and will... As a wife, for instance, love and honor her husband, serve him, though he may be a sinner or though he may not be, without trying to change him. Or a husband may start serving his wife, loving her, lifting her up, encouraging her, despite how he may actually feel about her. And see how the love of God changes the situation. It does two things. First of all, it changes our hearts towards that person. When you are willing to embrace the love of God concerning those around you, those closest to you and your friends, etc., when you are willing to embrace the love of God towards them, your heart changes. Suddenly the things that used to bother you aren't that important anymore. Why? Because your heart has changed. But here's the other divine thing that takes place. When you stop trying to change people, stop trying to control them, stop trying to manipulate them, stop trying to get them to see things your way, do things your way, when you stop all of that and release them to God, and you love them unconditionally, as they are, warts and all, without trying to change them, it is only then that you release them to God and you take your hands off that God can put His hands on the situation. The best way that you can influence somebody is to love them and to pray for them. I'm not saying we are ignorant of people's weaknesses. They touch us. Their weaknesses touch us. Their shortcomings touch us. They hurt sometimes. They frustrate at other times. But when we choose to embrace people despite all of those things, what we do is we release God to work in the situation. You see... In our lives, folks, we're either going to be trying to do it ourselves, our way, or we're going to have to look to God and trust Him to do things His way. Now, which do you think is best? Obviously, it's the Lord's way. He knows what He's doing far better than you or I do. But the key is to release it to Him 
so that he can have his way in other people's lives. The way we do that is by letting go. By not thinking we know best. By not thinking we have to be right. This is a big deal in relationships, folks. This is why most relationships struggle. Why we struggle to get on with people that are different to us. It's not the differences that make it hard. It's control. It's wanting to change somebody else to see things through from your point of view. My father always used to say to me, Michael, you don't love somebody for who they are. You love them in spite of who they are. It's easy to love somebody for the good things, but it's difficult to love them with the difficult things. Wouldn't you agree? Are you there? I'm receiving some love there. Thank you. The point I want to make to you this, this morning and this afternoon is that the key to loving this way is humility. And I want to just look very briefly and spend a little bit of time talking about what humility actually is and why and how it empowers us to live in love and have love towards one another. Just realized I've got the wrong notes in front of me. Hold on. Shows you I haven't even been preaching from my notes yet. We've been having fun. Here we go. Let's talk about the word humility. The world definition of humility or a dictionary definition of the word humility is the quality or condition of being humble, modest opinion or estimation of, own, of one's own importance or rank. Um, in other words, you think lowly of yourself. You know, he, the humble person doesn't think too grandiously about himself. He thinks modestly and, 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 and you know, uh, modest estimation, doesn't overestimate himself. The world's definition of humility is, is weakness. The humble ones are the weak ones. They, don't, they have no backbone. They have no strength to stand up for themselves. But the biblical definition or the biblical understanding of humility is cradled, if you will, in an understanding of what we've just been talking about. True godly humility is having an accurate view of oneself according to the truth of God's word. That is what a humble man is like. Jesus was a humble man. Yet he stood in front of many and said, I am the Son of God. Now they perceived, many perceived that as arrogance. Jesus was not arrogant. Jesus was very bold when facing the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees of his day. He spoke with great boldness in some times, and in other times he spoke with great tenderness. But we see in him a man who knew who he was. He had an accurate view of who God was. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, mind and strength. He had an accurate view of who he was, the Son of God, which empowered him to have an accurate view of everybody else around him so that he could love his neighbor as he loved himself. True humility, folks, is founded upon the truth. The truth of God, who God is, the truth of who he has made you and I to be and the truth of how he feels about the world around us. It's a state of heart. It's knowing exactly who you are. And it's only when you come to that place that, that you can embrace the will of God for your life. 
until you've come to a place in your heart where you are secure in who you are in Christ Jesus, in who He's made you to be, what, do, what you will find is there will be an internal striving to have to prove yourself, to have to make a name for yourself, to, to do things your way, to, to, to be the best, to be better than somebody else, very competitive. Why? Because we place value on those things. We gain and draw value from those things. Whereas God wants us to draw value from one place, and that is from Him, who He has made us to be. What determines the value of something? The price you pay for it. You know, for some people, they would spend, oh, who knows how many dollars on an old sports car. Can you imagine? But other people don't value those things quite so much. But to other people, there's great value on it. And the, <laughs> the value they place on that thing is determined by the price they're willing to pay for it. Amen? Now, what was the price that was paid for you and I? Folks, when we get a revelation of this, we understand just how incredibly precious we are to God. We are so loved by the King of Glory, the Creator of the universe, that He would send His own Son to pay the price to purchase you and I. Nobody can devalue that. That price has already been paid. Nobody can devalue you against your will. You are precious, child of God. So, so precious in the eyes of God. And what this revelation does is it sets you free from the lies and the deceptions of pride. You see, when you're locked in pride, there's certain things you cannot do. Pride, what pride does is it makes you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. When you are filled with pride, you can't put anybody else first. You have to put yourself first. When you are full of pride, you have a hard time submitting to somebody else. Because... You, you have a hard time trusting them. You have a hard time doing things somebody else's way. You want to do it your way. When you have pride in your heart, you have a hard time relinquishing your rights. You have a hard time giving up your dreams and what it is that you want to do. Or your happiness. When your heart is full of pride, you can't do anything that will tarnish your reputation. Because your reputation is important to you. That's where you derive your value. Now, how many of us struggle with that from time to time? We all do. We all struggle with pride in one way or another. But the only way to deal with that is to be centered once again in the love of God. Let's look at what true humility looks like. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 5 through to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Isn't that incredible? Nobody made Jesus of no reputation, but He, out of love and obedience for the Father, made Himself of no reputation. Why? 
because that reputation was not important to him. He was so secure in who he was as the Son of God, he didn't need to prove anything to anyone. And let's see what he did. He made himself of no reputation by taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself again and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, uh, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus was the most humble man who ever lived, and that enabled him to do what he did, to come and lay his life down. You see, humility, when, when we have a true revelation of humility, we understand the servant heart of Jesus Christ and what it means to lay down our lives in the service of others. The Apostle Paul said, If my life is poured out as a drink offering for you and on the altar of your faith, I am pleased. In other words, I'm not trying to make a reputation for myself here. What I'm trying to do is lift you up. My value is secure. I've got nothing to prove to anybody. But I do have an agenda. I want Jesus Christ formed in you and I'm willing to lay my life down in serving you so that that can happen. You see, only a humble man can do that. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. You know, he didn't walk around going, I'm the son of God, you need to worship me. We love to name drop. I, I, I think I love the story of uh, Desmond Tutu, his uh, archbishop of the Anglican Church, or former archbishop of the Anglican Church in Cape Town. He was saying, you know, he was having a conversation with, with Richard Branson, and he was saying to him, you know, Richard, People love to names drop. They love to say who they know. In fact, the other day I was just saying the same thing to the Queen when we had tea. We love to be associated with powerful people or important people because somehow we gain our value and importance from them. You know what? We are associated with somebody of great value and of great importance. His name is Jesus Christ. We are His brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters of the Kingdom of God. How much better could it get? How much, what higher status could we possibly attain in this life or the next? We are the sons of God. Isn't that incredible? That means we are free. We've got nothing to prove to anybody. We are free to love them and lay our lives down for them. You know, the truth is that nobody can humble you. People can degrade you. They can try to oppress you or deride you or ridicule you or shame you or abuse you or force you into submission. But they cannot humble you. There are some people who are street sweepers and are full of pride. There are other people who are executives and are incredibly humble. Humility is not based upon your status in life. Humility is a state of heart that you embrace. And that's the key. You need to embrace humility. The only person who can humble you is you. Because humility is an act of the will. Did you know that not even God can humble you? There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Jesus or the, will not be standing there commanding his angels to hit people in the back of the legs and forcing them to bow. No. Even in that day, people will bow because they will have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And at that revelation, they will fall to their knees in worship. True humility. When you and I have a revelation of Jesus, humility is one of the primary fruit. True, true humility is the only thing that can position us in the center of God's will for our lives. It prevents us from the pride of trying to run ahead of God, trying to make our own plans, trying to make our own dreams come true. It also sets us free from the opinions of men. We don't care or we're not bothered about what people think of us. Now, I, I say that and, and you know that doesn't mean that we can be callous concerning the opinions of those around us. But we worry about people's opinions, not for our sake, but for theirs. Let me give you an example. It is good to live in a place where we are not worried about what people think about us. In other words, we don't gain any value or significance from the opinions of other people. However, we are cognizant of how the opinions of others will affect the way that they deal with us, or affect the way in which we are able to minister to them. If I came on here swearing, if I came into your house, Johanna and Antoinette, and left my socks all over the place, and, you know, just left dirty dishes all over the place. Oh, wait, I did. Uh, let's use another example. If I came in there and was swearing and telling all kinds of dirty jokes and, you know, just being rude, it would, it would hinder my effectiveness to minister to you. Amen? So, from that point of view, I am concerned about what people think. Why? Because I want to be able to reach them best. I do not want anything to hinder what God can do through me and that's why how I live my life is important. Not for my sake, but for the sake of the gospel. I need to be cognizant of that. However, if in doing the best that I can, in doing all of those things, you do not think highly of me, it doesn't matter to me. I am whole and secure in God. Now, do I want to be liked? Do I like being liked? Yes, of course! Who doesn't like being liked? Everybody wants to be liked, right? We all like to be liked. But when we start drawing our significance and our importance and our value and our affirmation from men, we become men-pleasers. And what that means is we can no longer be led by God. We can no longer be, be, be instruments in the hand of God because we are slaves to the opinions of men. That means that God cannot tell us to do something that will, you know, have an, have an, have an effect on how people may see us because we're more concerned what people think. Humility is not worried or concerned about these things. And because of that, humility elevates us above our carnality. The greatest limiting factor is confidence that we have is confidence in our own abilities. That is pride. Has anybody ever told you that before? Your greatest limiting factor as a believer is your confidence in your own ability. Now this world teaches us that we need to be confident. We need to have self-confidence. But that's not what the Word of God tells us at all. You know, and it's, I want to tell you something. It's, it's, crept into the, it's crept into the church. You know, the kind of thing, thinking that says, be all you can be for God. 
You know, God doesn't want you to be what you can be. He wants you to surrender and let go of who you are so that you can be who Christ is. Amen? Christ is who we are aiming for. Not some better version of ourselves. I once heard a preacher say something that has stuck with me. I've used it many times. I may have said it to you before, but it's just so true and it, it hit me between the eyes. He said, Jesus didn't come to make a better you. He came to make you more like Him. Because this world doesn't need a better you. That's not going to change the world. The world needs more of Him. This world needs Jesus. It needs the true love of Jesus. It needs those who are sold out, who are so filled and affirmed with the love of Jesus that they are free to give that love away in any way He leads them to give that love away. They hold no grudges. They are not easily offended. They are willing to release people and let them go and just be loved by God and share that love with those around them. Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 The key to being a disciple of Jesus is denying yourself. Your rights. What you want. What you feel. And loving in spite of how, what you want. And in spite of what we feel. There's an insidious pride that has crept into the church. And because of it, because of, it ex because of its existence in the church, the church is nowhere near what God intended it to be or has created it to be. The church is still God's hope for this world. But there's some things we've got to get straight. And, and there's a lot of leaven that we need to get out of the lump because it's affecting the church at large. The church, by and large, has been stripped of her influence you look at it, you know, in, in our country, in South Africa, in the United States, how much influence is the church having these days on the lives of people, on government, on, 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 ju ju on the judiciary, all these kinds of things? The truth, if we're honest with ourselves, is very, very little. Why? It's because we've been deceived. We're in the same condition as the Laodicean church. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation. Let's talk about this very for a little bit, and then I don't want to spend too much time here, but... Revelations chapter 3, it says this in verse 17 and 18. The angel, or Jesus, writes a letter to the church in Laodicea and he says, Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked, I counsel, from, I counsel you to buy from me. Gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with self, that you may see. Deception means that you cannot see the truth. It means you believe something is true, which is actually a lie. And the problem with deception, the big problem with deception, is you're deceived. <laughs> that sounds like a rather strange statement, but it's true. You believe a lie to be the truth, and therefore you cannot see the truth. Pride is one of the most dangerous weapons in the enemy's arsenal. 
When we believe we are something and we start standing on our rights, we quickly become deceived and we become ineffective in God's kingdom. He, he, he cannot lead us anymore. He can no longer use us because we have substituted the truth for a lie and we begin drawing our significance from the lie. We begin drawing our purpose and our vision and our destiny from the lie and the lie leads us our lives astray until we become uninfluential and unfruitful in the kingdom useless in the hands of God because we are not subject to the truth but subject to a lie humility positions us in the truth remember I said you, the, the key to humility is having an accurate understanding of who we are according to the truth of God's word. That is what humility is all about. Romans 12.3 says this. For I say to you. Through the grace given to me. To everyone who is among you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But soberly. As God has dealt to each one. A measure of faith. A humble man has nothing to prove. A humble man also has nothing to defend. He has no problem in shouldering blame. So, you know, somebody may make an accusation against you. You know, you're so impatient. The pride within us wants us to defend ourselves and go, yeah, but you push my patience. You, you're the reason I'm impatient. You know, if you just arrived on time, I wouldn't be impatient. Whereas a humble man acknowledges, you know what, yeah, I'm impatient. I want to tell you something. One of the most humbling experiences I had in, I've had in my life was when Leah was born. My wife, for my wife, the biggest adjustment of her life was marrying me. I mean, surprise, surprise, that would be quite an adjustment, I'm sure you can imagine. For me, the biggest adjustment was having a child. Because when I, when I, had, Lil, when I had Lily, when we had, Leah, uh, when we had Leah, I honestly thought of myself as a pretty patient guy. I thought of myself as a pretty selfless guy, a pretty servant-hearted guy. And it wasn't until Leah was born... And those first few months of having a baby in the house, very little sleep, and all the demands that comes with baby, did I realize just how selfish I truly am. And just how impatient I truly was. And these were ugly things to see. They were not pleasant at all. Now, if I was proud, I would never deal with those things. But I had to acknowledge those things. Now listen, I'm not saying to you I never struggle with pride. We all struggle with pride. But I'm talking to you about how in this example, I saw things about myself I really didn't like. And as I took them to the Lord, I, I had to acknowledge them. That's humility. You're acknowledging the truth. Now yes, you see, let me say this to you about humility. There's a double truth. And the world wants us to see one truth, and God wants us to see another truth. And based on the truth you see and the truth you believe, will determine how you live your life and how you love and honor those around you. The first truth is the natural truth. And that is what the world will focus on. You will say to them, you are a Christian, you are a believer. And they'll say, really? Look at your life. Look at how you reacted in that situation. Look at what you did there. You call you, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Don't come tell me you're a Christian. Look at how you behave. Their expectation is that if you're a Christian, you have to be perfect. God's idea of you is, is also... His idea of you is 
I have made you the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I look at you, I see perfection. Now, I see these things that you have done, but that is not who you are. You are a hypocrite, not because you do not live like a Christian. You are a hypocrite because, well, let me put it to you this way. Our, our hypocrisy, we are all hypocrites to one extent, not because we claim to be something that we're not. We're hypocrites because we often live in a way that is not the truth of who God has made us to be. Does that make sense? So it is not an acute accusation aimed at you and I all the time of you're not measuring up, you're not good enough. Therefore you're a hypocrite. It's more looking at it from, a, from the eyes of God saying, Michael, this is a who I have made you to be. And right now you are not living in that. Get out of that and come to, into the fullness of who I've made you to be. Be, who, be the man that I have created in you. Be Jesus. Be the one that, 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 whose life I have transformed. We can't do that until we embrace the truth about ourselves, folks. That yes, we have weaknesses and we have shortcomings. But the truth is God has set us free from them. The truth is we have victory over them. And they should not have victory over us. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with them from time to time. But we need to embrace the truth wholeheartedly. That these things do not define us, but that God has given us the power to overcome them. We then begin to live life instead of a place of sin consciousness, conscious constantly of the things that we do wrong, we begin to live life from a place of righteous consciousness. Where we understand that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not looking for a sin or a demon under every stone or under every bush. We are trust the Holy Spirit to convict us when we do wrong. But we live life from a place of righteousness. You know, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of what humility is like. On the night before he is going to be betrayed, the moment before he's going to be hung on the cross, he has dinner with his disciples. And in all the hustle and bustle of trying to get a room ready, the disciples had forgotten to organize the, the customary, the honorary servant to, to, to clean the feet and the hands of, of the guests as they arrived for dinner. That was just customary in the time. The servant did that when they arrived. And they'd forgotten this. So they sat down for dinner. Nobody's feet or hands were washed. So what did Jesus do? He took off his robes. He took off his... What does that represent? His, his glory. He laid it on the floor. He then went and picked up the bowl and began washing the disciples' feet. This is one of the most... One of the ultimate acts of genuine humility that we will see where the King of Glory gets, stoops down and washes the feet of His disciples. He, and, and what was His commandment? He said, this you must do likewise. In other words, have that same heart of humility. You know, folks, when we have a realization that we have free access to the table of God to come and eat of His goodness every day, to eat of His affirmation, to eat of His love, to feast on the goodness of God... We come to His banqueting table and it is laden with wonderful things that God has prepared for us. Spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically. Every area of our lives is catered for through what Jesus paid for on the cross. And it is, it is ours. It belongs to us. And God invites us to partake of them freely. You know what the wonderful thing is? When we are there partaking, 
we can be filled with the life and the nature and the goodness of Jesus Christ so that we can likewise stoop down and love and serve those around us. We see that Jesus died for them too. That we are not of any more value than anybody else out there, saint or sinner. Jesus paid the same price for them all. We are not more important than them and we are not less important than them. You know, we may think of ourselves in high regard next to some and in low regard next to others, but that's not how God sees things. God sees us as all the same. God is no respecter of persons. But what God does call us to do is to serve and to love those around us. How do we do that? It begins by you and I spending time with God daily. Allowing our hearts and minds to be transformed by the truth of His Word, the truth of who He says we are. Allowing His love to fill our hearts to the point that we are so secure in Him that we can go out and if needs be wash feet and if needs be do whatever it takes to share and give love to those around us because love looks like something. And in doing so, we fulfill the great commandments. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And because we love Him, we are secure in Him, we are empowered to love those around us. To forgive those around us. To exercise long-suffering. Sometimes we have to suffer long time with those who are around us. I think it's in the book of Romans where, the Bible, where, where, where it says... You know, bear with the foibles of the weak. Bear with those who are not where you are spiritually. Don't be frustrated with them. Bear with them. Love them anyways. Folks, wherever you are, you're surrounded by people. And where, where, where you have that, you're surrounded by opportunities to share and to give and embrace the love of Jesus Christ. Again, this is not some feeling that we have. The love of Jesus Christ is manifested when we, uh, where other people carry, the, where we have an estimation of other people that is in accordance with God's estimation of them. We love them the way God loves them. And how do we know how God loves them? Because we have a revelation of how God loves us. Isn't it simple? Isn't it beautiful? God didn't make this complicated. He makes it really, really simple. Not easy, but simple. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.